¿Estás listo para convertir tus mejores ideas en un negocio en línea exitoso? Te presentamos Shopify. Tal vez no lo sabías, pero nuestro podcast More Than Mammies es un negocio y lo empezamos, por supuesto, para desahogarnos y hablar sobre la maternidad, no para convertirnos en expertas de ventas y del e-commerce. Así que sí, necesitábamos ayuda para vender nuestro merch y poner en marcha nuestra tienda. ¿Y cómo suena con Shopify? Llegó otra venta. Shopify es la plataforma de comercio que está revolucionando millones de negocios en todo el mundo. Ya seas un emprendedor desde tu casa o desde donde sea, Shopify es la única herramienta que necesitas para iniciar, administrar y hacer crecer tu negocio sin dificultades. Con Shopify puedo gestionar pedidos, envíos y pagos desde cualquier lugar, brindándote toda la información y estadísticas de tus ventas al detalle. Regístrate para un periodo de prueba con tan solo un dólar al mes en shopify.com barra sonoro. Todo en minutos. Ve a Shopify.com barra sonoro para llevar tu negocio al siguiente nivel. Shopify.com barra sonoro. Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, I want you all to be very quiet just for a moment. Do you hear that? The sound of silence. No gunshots. Peace at last. That was my first memory of this camp. Most people don't know that nearly nine out of ten refugees are hosted not by richer countries, but by poorer ones. And the truth is that what is rampant is not the measured, careful, fact-based arguments about refugees and displaced people. What is rampant is mythology about that says refugee is another code word for terrorist. This is the Global Goals Cast, the podcast that asks if we can change the world. On this episode, we're going to be talking about refugees, innovation, and opportunities related to them. We're going to be busting myths about refugees by visiting a camp that shows how refugees can be an economic boon rather than a burden. And we will be talking about refugees as opportunities, how they contribute to the communities that they have moved into. How they can be a source of development and growth. And how refugees are human just like the rest of us, and every one of us can be a refugee. I'm Edie Lush, here with Claudia Romo Edelman in London, and we're going to be back after this. Thanks to Harman, the official sound of Global Goals Cast. Welcome back. So the world, as you know, has a very big challenge of displaced persons, the world's largest refugee crisis. But we are not here today to depress you. Instead, we want to capture the scale of the challenge, share some positive things that are working, and describe some potential solutions for tackling this crisis as it's an issue that will only continue to grow. That is right. For one thing, the narrative is often inaccurate. Many refugees have actually improved life in the places that take them in. If that surprises you, or even if it doesn't, just keep listening. 
to help us understand the refugee situation, I spoke to one of the world experts on the topic, David Miliband, who's the head of the International Rescue Committee, which was created to resettle the millions of people driven from their homes by World War II. But Miliband and the IRC have a new challenge now. Let's start with the context, which is that there are more refugees and displaced people than at any time since the Second World War. That's why I think it's right to talk about a displacement crisis, 25 million refugees and 40 million internally displaced. These are people who are fleeing from war and conflict and persecution. They're not economic migrants moving from one place to another in search of a better life. They are people fleeing for their lives. So that, that is the community that we are talking about. Today, the average displacement is decades. And that means that we're talking about a multi-generational displacement uh, that is increasingly in urban areas, not in uh, refugee camps, uh, where there are new uh, opportunities for people to participate in the market economy as well as in the wider society. And it's imperative if someone is displaced for 10, 20 years, it's imperative on that time span to work not just to help people survive by giving them sufficient food or water or health care, but actually give them the chance to thrive. The truth is that what is rampant is not the measured, careful, fact-based arguments about refugees and displaced people. What is rampant are, is mythology about that says refugee is another code word for terrorist, that says that the reason there's unemployment is because there are too many migrants. There's a set of uh, catchphrases that um, aren't based on reality, but are nonetheless far more powerful than the uh, effort that uh, we are making. The key to the narrative is to rehumanize that uh, population and to give them their faces and their stories uh, back. And I think it's really important that we're able to do that. Remember, there's a difference in international law between refugees and migrants. It's not that one is good and the other is bad, it's that they're different. And there are different legal and moral responsibilities attending to states and to citizens when it comes to people who are bombed from their houses as it does to people who are choosing to leave their uh, houses. And my own view is that um, countries will always insist that they have to keep their immigration policies as a matter of national jurisdiction. I think it is possible to argue that when it comes to refugees, there are international obligations. And that is an argument that still has to be prosecuted. There are still 50 or so countries that haven't signed the Refugee Convention, um, and some important countries. And I think that uh, it's going to be really important that we don't lose the um, integrity of that commitment. David Miliband says we need new ways to handle displaced persons. So the Global Goals cast went out looking for them, and we found an incredible example in Kenya. Not far from the Rift Valley, the birthplace of humanity. Economist Apurv Sangi explained why the success of this camp in Kakuma is so important. Most people don't know that nearly 9 out of 10 refugees are hosted not by richer countries, but by poor of ours. Indeed, with almost half a million refugees, it is countries like Kenya that have become the shock absorbers for people fleeing their homes from conflict. 
Built in 1992, Kakuma is home to more than 185,000 people who have fled conflict and disaster from South Sudan, Somalia, Burundi, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And it's located in the northwest corner of Kenya, that border with South Sudan, Ethiopia, and Uganda. In the developed world, refugees are often portrayed as a burden and as a threat. But Kakuma has become a thriving marketplace, benefiting the refugees and their Kenyan hosts. There are more than 2,000 businesses in operation. The refugees trading with local community hosts and buy everything from food and cosmetics to mobile phones. The area generates more than $56 million in business. And approximately 69% of the camp's residents also had access to mobile services and the internet. That's right. I spoke with Melissa Fleming, the head of communications and chief spokesperson for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees about Kakuma. There is a section of the camp called Calo Bay. And this is um, a new type. We don't even call it a camp anymore. We call it a refugee settlement. And it's a settlement because it includes the host community. It includes an agricultural zone where refugees and the local community can grow their own food. It includes an economic zone where refugees and the host community can start businesses. It has uh, health clinics and schools where both the host community and the refugees uh, can have access. So it is an integrated approach where self-reliance is fostered and an investment in that community where there was nothing before is taking place. So Melissa told me about an event that Kakuma hosted recently. They had the first TEDx in a refugee camp. And Kakuma is such an extraordinary uh, place. I've been in Kenya a number of times in other refugee camps like Dadaab, where they are used to be there for 30 years and only receive. They cannot work, they don't produce, they only get. Kakuma seems to be thriving and giving to their host communities. We have a voice from the refugee camp. This is Mary Maker, who spoke at the Kakuma TEDx event. Gunshots were the order of the day. My community was constantly under attack. Planes will drop these spinning and terrifying bombs that chopped off people's limbs. But the most terrifying thing for every single parent was to see their children being abducted and turned into young soldiers. My mother dug a trench that soon became our home but yet we did not feel protected. She had to flee in search of a safe place for us. I was four years and my younger sister was two. We joined a huge mass of people and together we walked for many agonizing days in search of a secure place, but we could barely rest before we were attacked again. We finally made it across the Kenyan borders, yes. But that was the longest journey that I have ever heard in my whole life. My feet were raw with blisters. To our surprise, we found other family members that had fled into the camp earlier on. Now, I want you all to be very quiet just for a moment. Did you hear that? 
the sound of silence. No gunshots. Peace at last. That was my first memory of this camp. This could be me, and it could be you. Yeah, and this is where we really bust up the narratives. Here in the developed world, we are used to hearing these tales of escape being the end of the story. The miracle is that that sound of silence from Mary Maker and the other refugees in Kakuma, the miracle is what happened next. They become productive members of their new society in Kenya. The truth is that most refugees are not living in Western countries like Germany or the US. 85% of refugees live in developing countries. So guess who hosts the most refugees? Turkey, Uganda, Pakistan, Lebanon, Iran, and Jordan. Jordan, absolutely. And to make that work, we need more and more Kakumas, places where communities of refugees and communities of people who take them in are both better off than before the refugees arrive. Everyone around Kakuma does better. Economy better, refugees better. Here is Economy's Apur Sangi again. And by the way, Dracona is the county where Kakuma is located. Because of refugees, Dracona's economic output, which is the total value of all goods and services produced in Dracona County, has increased permanently by 3.5%. So if you're a Dracona resident making, say, 100 Kenyan shillings, by selling food such as ugali, Kenyan maize, before refugees arrived. Since the arrival, net of inflation, you would now be making over 103 shillings year after year. Not only that, refugee presence has also added jobs to the economy. So for every 100 jobs previously available, there are now 103 jobs, year after year. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, hmm, Apurv, these 3% increases are not exactly, shall we say, killer statistics. And I'd agree. But perceptions aside, we also wanted hard data. So we compared various measures of physical well-being of Trakana residents. One good measure is SSF, Sun of Skin Folds. SSF measures body fat content, which in impoverished settings such as these, is a positive indicator of a person's physical well-being. And we found that Turkana residents who lived closer to the camp had higher SSF numbers. And this is true for both men and women. So, refugee presence has grown the economy, added jobs to it, and is also associated with better well-being of Turkana residents. For sure, not everybody benefits, but on balance, there's more boom than gloom. Skinfold, what a way to measure success. I know. Rather than being a humanitarian challenge, refugees can be a development opportunity. Melissa Fleming explains more. The Secretary General visited Bangladesh together with the president of the World Bank, Jim Kim, um, with the High Commissioner for Refugees, and committed to developing that very poor region of Bangladesh that has taken in one million Rohingya refugees so that their hospitals, their school systems, their roads are also improved and, and that there's 
for the host community that has been willing and been so compassionate that they're going to get some value out of being such good people. So measuring skin folds is one type of innovation. Here's another. Uganda is one really good uh, example of enlightened policies, let's say, coupled with innovation. Uh, it used to be that the response to you know large number of refugees coming into countries was, okay, um, the government would say, we will keep our borders open, we'll provide safety, but you have to live in a camp and you're not allowed to work and you're not allowed to go anywhere outside of the camp. This has changed. Uganda, for example, offers every refugee who comes into their country a piece of land. And on that land, they can grow their own food. They're also allowed to um, move throughout the country to start a, a business if they want. And we've seen you know, huge benefits to the refugees. First of all, they're self, more self-reliant than they would be before and also they're able to contribute to the economy in some way. So this different attitude towards refugees being allowed to work is in itself an innovation. In Uganda as well, there is an example of Belgium changing the way they give bilateral help to the country by using a third-party company, Telecoms, to give credit to women giving birth and registering their babies. That is an incentive. We said that one of our goals was to change the narrative about refugees. That's right, and one of the most contested stories in this area is the role that the private sector plays, sending money backwards and forwards between refugees and migrants in their home countries. And that contested story, that contested role that Western Union and other companies in the private sector play. But I have a different take. So I went to talk to the CEO of Western Union, Hikmet Esken, who is a migrant himself. Some of my employees say that when I get out of a plane in Istanbul, I walk like a Turk. <laughs> when I get out of a plane in the U.S., I walk like an American or talk like an American. And in, in Austria, I talk like an Austrian. So this challenge in the past, Claudia, made me actually an advantage now to communicate with people from different race, different religion, different uh, background in a very easy day. People feel that I am what they tell me that I am the same like them. What is Western's union, not only commitment, but also work with refugees? As a global company, we take global responsibility and refugee crisis is a global issue. And we try to build bridges as Western Union, not building walls. Building bridges means that the world will be in a better position. And by building bridges, good things happen. People move, uh, jobs got created, money moves. Uh, by building walls, uh, all things stop, right? You don't want that. So um, I think uh, we as West Union, as a global company, take a stand on that. Don't forget, refugees are people like you and me. I can tell you a story. As the Syrian refugee crisis started, we exactly knew that where they come from and where they're going to be next going then because we were following them they would send money from turkey to syria or to, uh, then from greece to turkey or from serbia to turkey to the loved ones or from sweden to turkey or to to to, to syria to support their loved ones and you could imagine we could track them how much they send you were the first one to start actually paying attention to that movement, you were predicting through tracing the movement that there was something cooking and you were able to negotiate on behalf of these people to say, how can we do something so that they can get money and access money and transfer the money so that they can survive? It was more a support thing. We didn't want to make huge money out of that. 
We just want to cover our costs and we did special fees for refugees to send money to Syria or to send money to refugees. We gave special ID restrictions for refugees. We talked to the UN, we talked to, um, to our anti-money laundering regulators. And I have to say that it was unbelievable. The stories behind that supporting the families was really good. And the good thing is that the, today's refugees who use that on that days where they were challenged are becoming customers. I know how committed you are to changing the life of other people because you're one of them. I want to I want to ask from that amount of money that is exchanged every year from the 300 billion to the 600 billion in general there's a report that says that 32 billion dollars of those are lost in you know high fees and um, high commissions and tell me tell me what is the issue The issue is definitely something brought up but we always show that it's not the case we operate in 200 countries, Claudia. We operate, uh, we call it corridor sending money from one country to another country. Is it from Germany to Russia or from Germany to uh, Egypt or from US to India or from US to Mexico? If you calculate that, there are theoretically 200 times 240,000 corridors. So every corridor, every destination has different needs, different prices, different consumer behavior. So there is no one rule that every transaction is the same. In average, um, our uh, transactions are $300, depending on where you send. You will send money to India, maybe the charges are less, but you will send money to Peru, maybe the charges are higher because we have low access there. Maybe it costs us more. You know, in special circumstances, we do that. As I said earlier, we are a very mission-driven brand. I can tell you, as, as in Maria happened in Puerto Rico, Immediately we bring the prices down, zero fee, or a flood in Bangladesh, or a, a refugee crisis in Syria. We immediately bring the prices down, zero fees, and we do, don't make money in that corridor for a certain time. So it was important for us to present the perspective from the company side. We also asked the head of the Western Union Foundation, Elizabeth Rusko, what was Western Union doing? We created a global campaign called I Am More to really help individuals understand that refugees are so much more than the circumstances that define them. They are not just people on the move. They're doctors, they're teachers, they're mothers. They're people who have had lives at home. Along their journey, Western Union came across the actor Forrest Whitaker, known to me best for playing Idi Amin. He's also very involved with helping refugees. We have one employee, um, a fantastic lady called Jodie, who was really engaged in the work that we're doing with Forest Whitaker's organization. Basically, she runs our loyalty points program. We gave consumers the opportunity, rather than to use those for a repeat service or something back themselves, to donate those points to charity and to Forest Whitaker's charity. And we had an incredible response from consumers two years ago. This year, we took that one step further and we actually enabled consumers to crowdfund their points, their loyalty points that they had earned, and to donate those as, as a group um, to help an individual child to go to school. 
in the Kiriandongo settlement in Uganda, where we're working with Forest Oasis team, it costs about $150 a year to go to secondary school, which means that very, very few children get the opportunity to go to secondary school. And so our goal was to try and see if we could crowdfund maybe 50 kids to go to school. In 24 days, our consumers had funded 100 children to go to school, and that program is going to continue. Look, we're talking to you about refugees because you have to face it. This is going to continue growing. Exactly. Climate change is exacerbating the issue. And the estimate of the people who will be migrating due to climate change, it ranges from 25 million people to a billion people moving around by 2050. Now, these include people moving from within their own country and across borders. If you just think about it, glaciers melting, sea level rising, unpredictable weather patterns, crop failures, the salinization of fresh water and flooding of coastal cities, it doesn't respect borders. It happens indiscriminately. In 2016, over 24 million people were newly displaced by sudden onset climate-related hazards. In 2016, the 10 largest displacement events, that's people being moved around, were related to climate. From those 24 million people, those are not only happening in developing countries. Countries with most displacement associated with disasters are China, Philippines, India, Indonesia, but also the United States with one more, more than 1,100,000 people, Cuba, Japan, Myanmar, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. So now to join us to wrap this up are Ravi Guramurthy and Grant Gordon. They're the co-hosts of another podcast called Displaced, made by Vox Media together with the IRC. So we focused on this episode on new approaches to refugees because this challenge is getting bigger, much bigger. Over the next 30 years, climate change will displace tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of people. So resettling displaced people will become essential on a scale that we've never dealt with before. And the big idea is to change the narrative so we see refugees as contributors, human beings who can help the communities that take them in. We looked at this in Uganda and Kenya, but I know that you guys have done some work on this in Jordan. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so typically, if you think about what the refugee journey looks like, when they flee over a border, they're often then denied the right to work, the right to send their kids to education. And that's done because those countries often want to deter new refugees coming over the border. But unfortunately, that obviously denies them the right to provide for their family, but also denies them the opportunity to contribute and be a benefit to local uh, communities. And what was interesting about the refugee compact that we that was developed in Jordan was it tried to change that and make uh, refugees more of a win-win benefit, both for local communities and for themselves. So uh, the international community, the World Bank, major donors agreed a compact with the Jordanian government that enabled them to benefit from concessional finance from the World Bank and from lower trade barriers into the European Union if they uh, increase the level of employment of refugees. And while the actual compact hasn't been as successful as it might have been because the, the incentives were probably not um, strong enough, I think it does show the right way of dealing with refugees and uh, providing the kind of support and incentives for host countries. 
the crucial insight here is that this moment demands we think of the policies and the platforms and the programs that allow us to really reshape the debate from one in which we see refugees as costs and one in which we move to seeing them as investments. And these are going to be the types of innovation that allow us to pierce through the politics of the moment. And that is the purpose of this episode. We want to make sure that we move the conversation from a political one to an innovation and opportunities one so that we can get even more private sector involved, more partnerships. I love what you guys did with Sesame Street, for example. Yeah, I mean, that's an incredible partnership um, that was uh, thanks to the, uh, the MacArthur Foundation. We've been given $100 million dollars to work with Sesame on a program that will provide refugees in Jordan, in Syria, Iraq um, uh, and Lebanon with a combination of a Sesame, a Sesame Street for Syrian children, but also home visitors for parents to help them parent better and uh, preschool services. And the, the really interesting feature about it is that is it shows the potential of mass media to com combine with face-to-face -face services. Obviously, providing preschool services is challenging, particularly inside Syria when it's very dangerous, or it can be quite costly to do that. But if you can combine that with digital offerings on mobile phones and through TV, you can start to create really, really cost-effective programs that can access refugees. We're excited about the opportunities, and one opportunity I like a lot is the Global Compact for Refugees that is going to be signed in September and ideally puts a framework to um, to the discussion about refugees so that everybody sings from the same song sheet. I think the really crucial question for this compact and framework, as well as all of the work that's being done right now is whether it provides the type of clarity and commitment to actually move the, the dial. And so, you know, over the um, arc of the past few months, there have been multiple drafts of this coming out. And I think there's a, a hope for this compact, but also a desire for it to be much stronger on, you know, identified objectives much stronger on how we're actually going to measure those objectives. And at the core of it, a real sense of what it actually means to share responsibility between nations. Um, what does it mean for how many uh, refugees countries should absorb? What does it mean for how much money uh, countries should be providing into the international system? These are the, the nitty gritty weedy questions yeah. that to really make a change at this moment, we're going to have to answer. Yeah, and I love the fact that it is almost like playing basketball for the last 50 years without really having a clear global set of rules of what's mm -hmm. in, what's out, uh, what constitute, you know, like what, how, how do we play together? So I, I, I love the fact that we're very close. One of the things we do on this podcast is give our listeners actions that they can go out and take. So I wonder what actions you guys have for people who are interested in this idea of refugees and innovations. How can people get involved? I think first and foremost, um, you know, I just want to say that voting matters. Um, the elected officials that uh, we put into office really shape the policies that um, affect refugees' lives and affect this moment. So and getting engaged politically is absolutely crucial. I think it's also important if you've got even more time and energy uh, to get involved um, and help support refugees. In most, um, all of the countries in OECD, there are refugees, migrants, asylum seekers um, that you can support and help integrate into your communities. And here in the United States, where the IRC um, resettles refugees, uh, you can reach out, volunteer, um, and engage with refugees to help them um, integrate and support them in their transition. 
There's a lot of innovation happening in the sector right now, and that's absolutely crucial. And there's a number of uh, prizes, hackathons, um, ideas boards where anybody, whatever they're thinking, can kind of come and contribute their thoughts on how to address this moment. Um, it's a great way to plug in intellectually. One of the things that I've been doing just to change my own thinking about refugees is to read books. So Stealing Buddha's Dinner is about Vietnamese refugees into the States. There's a great book called Pachinko, which is about Korean refugees going to Japan. They're all human stories. They're all very interesting and different, and they deal with refugees in a way that is looking at it from the life of the refugee. I would personally recommend a book called The Refugees by Vietnam Nguyen, which is about primarily about um, Southeast Asian refugees uh, coming into America in the 60s and 70s, and it just paints a really deep and thoughtful picture of um, the lives of the people. And here are some data points that you can use to show off with your mother-in-law over dinner. So uh, right now the world's facing the you know largest refugee crisis since World War II. There are about 68.5 million displaced individuals globally, 25.4 million of whom are refugees, and 40 million of whom are internally displaced people. My favorite recent fact is that if you look at the contribution that refugees make over, say, a 15-year period to the U.S., they actually contribute more to their tax revenues and, and, and other contributions than they take out. So this idea of refugees are contributors is not just an assertion, it's actually backed by evidence. And one crucial thing to remember is that right now, uh, low- and middle-income countries bear the lion's share of the burden in hosting refugees. Uh, those countries host 85% of the world's refugees, and this gives you a sense of how to think about the global distribution of, of where those refugees are. So thank you so much, Ravi and Grant, for joining us on the Global Goals Cast here today. Where can we find your podcast? You can find Displaced um, at iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you get your, uh, your podcasts. You can also find it on www.rescue.org forward slash displaced. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye. 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 The issue of refugees is challenging, but we have to face it. It is here to stay. Climate change is only going to exacerbate this issue. And we have to see refugees as opportunities. As a source of innovation and a source of inspiration. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm Edie Lush. And I am Claudia Romo Edelman. And this is the Global Goals Cast. Thanks for being with us. Music in this episode was by Andrew Phillips, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, Amy Edwards, and Ashish Pillowal. We would also love to thank our new partners, Unleash and Eunice Social Business for joining Global Goals Cast as we continue spreading awareness about the SDGs and sharing inspirational stories to showcase the progress towards their achievement. You can find a full list of our partners at globalgoalscast.org. And as always, we want to thank our editorial guru, Mike Oreskes, who has stood with us since the very start of this podcast. This podcast is powered by CBS News Digital.
Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our start up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.